Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design at RMIT University, and I'm here with architect Nick Travers, who's um, one of the directors, one of three directors at Techne. There's uh, Justin Northrop and Steve McKeague. Welcome to the program. Nick. Thanks for having me, Stephen. No, it's a pleasure. Look, you do some interesting work, a lot in the hospitality uh, area. I mean, people who don't know, I mean, people would know Techne's work, but if they haven't, there's uh, Brunetti's, which is a, a Melbourne establishment. There's the ESPY, which I recently had the pleasure of walking through. And I think hospitality is a different, a different game com- compared to other areas, such as residential work, other commercial work what is it about hospitality i mean technically has really been given a name in that area did that just happen by chance or did you set about to uh we certainly set about to 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 enter that field and uh it started by justin and i when we when we commenced our practice we opened our own bar and restaurant in melbourne um called the deanery um so that was in Bly Place. In nearly 20 years ago. Nearly 20 years ago. So we started out as our own hospitality operators and uh, came up with a business plan and found some investors and designed the place and opened it. And um, we had another business partner who ran it as the business. Um, and that really set us on the hospitality course. Um, and so we continued in that field over the, over the past couple of decades. So, Nick, yeah. you were the client. We were the client. So yeah. how do you design for yourself? Um, what were you looking for in the deanery that you thought was needed in Melbourne at the time? Well, at the time, it was it was at that start where the uh, still in that period where the where the laneways were opening up and that sort of change in liquor licensing enabled the sort of little bar scene to sort of emerge. My place hadn't hadn't been around for that long at that point in time. That was, it was six sort of degrees, six degrees project, and um, and then we found. We, we had a we had a landlord who was looking to convert a, ca- a car park space into a into a, a a leasable area, and he didn't know what to do with it. And um, we we then just sort of started on the project as as architects to sort of turn it into a, a some sort of hospitality venue. And then as we went through the process, the conversation turned into well, maybe maybe you could lease this space, maybe you could um, run this business, and. It just was this this landlord planting the seed. I had no plan to open a bar or restaurant. I had no history in that, um, but it was like, oh, that's not a bad idea. Okay, well, maybe maybe we we will, and uh, and then my business partner Justin, I knew that he he had been looking for a place to 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 open a bar, and so I I approached him and um, and we you know it's a really long story, but yeah. we 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 pulled it all together and. Um, and, and it was a vehicle for us. We were architects and we were trying to just create our first project. And, um, uh, and, and for me, it happened to just be this, this, this wine bar that we created. So, Nick, what did you learn from that experience? I mean, not um, everything would have gone smoothly. No, well, there's all it's that, kind of hidden. I mean, yeah, totally, hidden... totally hidden. And it was, it had, we had to put everything into it um, to turn it into a, a usable space. It had no natural light. Um, it was, a, it was a, practically like a cellar. Um, it was quite big. It was 400 square metres. So for for us, having never done a project before, we were two years out of uni practically or, you know, a little bit longer than that, two or three years. Um, and then we just embarked on this process of getting, you know, coming up with a business plan, finding people to... We, we were just uh, poor, poor 
graduate architects so we didn't have any we didn't have any money so we mm. were putting our sweat equity into it and um and then finding people to to invest in an idea and we managed mm. to you know get 11 shareholders and they were made up of friends and husband and wife and mm. um and everyone sort of came into it as a you know no one was going to make a lot of money out of it, but it was just owning a piece of a bar in the city of Melbourne. There was just a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a romantic idea or, you know, just, uh, you know, ha- having having a place, having your own place in the city. So, so that's a long way, the deanery, yeah. from the ESPY, which is quite an extraordinary. I really suggest if people haven't been to the ESPY, and I'm sure a lot of Melburnians have, make time to go and look through it. It's fascinating. It's mm. really... Um, I don't know how to describe it. It's yeah. one of those projects that it's obviously a, a, an important uh, music venue for Melbourne. Yes. And it's a grand Victorian residence. Um, yeah, so it started out as a seaside, grand Victorian seaside hotel. Um, that was that was its original uh, purpose. And then over the years, it's been lot, lots of different things over the years. Um, but I guess in in the more, most recent past, people sort of understand it as sort of that ro- the rock and roll venue. Um, and uh, and then it had a period of time where it was was shut. Um, and then our clients uh, bought the property. It also, uh, um, Nick, you know, with a lot of venues, it's all very sleek and elegant and very, you know, um, salubrious. It is all that, but it's very gritty. Yes. <laughs> very gritty. And when you walk through the spaces, there's really, it's like walking through history. Yes. Um, I mean, there's so many rooms. I mean, how many rooms are there? Like three different... Oh, there's... Um... There's two restaurant offers, there's 12 bars, there's three performance spaces. It's kind of like 15 projects all wrapped into one. Um, and, and each space is different. So rather yes. than taking this holistic approach and doing one look, mm-hmm. there's really different experiences within the same venue. So yes. maybe tell us about how you kind of create that yeah. sense of identity for each space. Yeah. Like, so I think um, the the headline brief for the project was kick-ass Victorian grandeur. That was just a bit of a statement piece for the project that the client um, the client gave us. And then in terms of the design, um, uh, it it really was a celebration of the the eras that the hotel had had gone through since sort of 1878 when it was when it was open. So it had been a hotel and it had been a ballroom and it had been discos. So it had gone through the... And it had been this sort of 80s rock pub and Rock Whiz was filmed out of the Gershon Room for a whole bunch of years. So there was all... People were connected to the place through all of the decades. And um, and so the, the design sort of taps into all of those historical aspects of the property. And, and, and the property is... Um, uh, like it's a significant building, and from the outside, it's mostly intact as a Victorian um, uh, grand hotel. Uh, but it's had a lot of things change and happen to it over the years. So a lot of the um, the architectural significance is relatively muddied because it's just been uh, you know changed so much over time. So, it's, but it had a lot of cultural significance, and there was certainly a sense from us when we designed the the place to not stuff up the ESPY. Like it really lives in people's minds and, and yeah um nick there's a lot of people who get involved in these projects um you remember uh, remember you telling me people like tex perkins yes who's a musician of note you know he took it under his wing and it was something that it was like his own private home that you were kind of 
coming to read. I, I guess in a way, yeah, the client was definitely engaging with the community, the lo- you know residents and people who were connected with the ESPY and people who musicians that had played there. And um, 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 yeah, they they definitely were talking to people like Tex Perkins, and um, there was also the the lead singer of UMI. His name just escapes me. Tim Rogers. I think they were chatting to him as well. So they were keeping people in the loop about what they were doing, and it was sort of part of you know connecting to the with the community because it's a it is a community venue like it's a it's a place for people it's a place for um you know it's a pub it's a it's an egalitarian space and and it was designed to um tap into all, all sorts of people from all walks of life all different demographics different ages but you you, yeah. you know it's not just the young hip groovy no. people that are not yes it's it's also for fa- for families yeah and you got things like the you know there's a room that was inspired a restaurant that was inspired by kind of um asia in the 70s yeah it's a bit sort of raffles-esque and it's still got some colo- colonial aspects to the design but so it's kind of raffles hong kong in the 70s um it's a cantonese inspired menu um, and and yeah, that's sort of a, fi- a slightly finer dining experience, and and you get a d- kind of different crowd on that space. Whereas downstairs, you've got you know the hustle and bustle of a front bar, and there's a public bar, and it, yeah. the the place works for all sorts of different situations. And yeah. you really, I mean, when you're designing, I mean, you tell me, but I, I th- when you you're looking at so many different demographics that yes. work in that that actually occupy the different spaces like the public bar at the ground level which used to be the basement you know it's plastered with stickers there's kind of the, the, um, the band posters and- the band posters it's really quite grimy yes. but there's kind of something quite touching about it, that we, it it's- yeah we kept certain things as they were that 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 they they they're sort of part of the history and part of the makeup of the place and like, so we didn't touch the Gershwin room the basement sort of band um performance space was re- relatively untouched by us we did a few little things but essentially it was the same as it always was and they there's some of the ingredients when the public goes back to the SB and we we opened up the doors and people can still connect with those things we changed a lot of stuff uh, but there were some essential things that remain the same and then people when they when they came back into the SB they felt like yeah, this is this is the old SB and more. Yeah. Um, the so. other thing that's interesting from a heritage point of view, it's not heritage listed, is no, it? No. I mean, it might be culturally it's heritage got cultural significance, significance, but yeah. architecturally, it's even though it was the home originally of um, Felton Bequest. Uh, yeah, um, Felton Bequest. Alfred. Alfred, Alfred sorry, Felton. the Alfred. Alfred. Felton, Felton yeah, and he's known for the Felton Bequest from the NGV. Correct. Yeah. Um, you know what's so interesting about the the way you've approached heritage, or the mm. the past is actually you're not quite sure what is original and what is added. Yes. So the Barrow Charter obviously states there has to be a clear significance between old and new. Yep. But if you would have taken that road, Nick, it would have been a mess because there've been yep. too many insertions throughout the whole place. So you've kind of mm. create you you've really created the past. Yes, without pretending it's the past. You know? No, there was. We had a lot of creative license, and because it didn't have that um, <clears throat> architectural significance so much, we were we were able to just take a different approach with the heritage, and we kept a lot of things, and we've kept um, we've kept the fabric of the building, but um, we were able to just do different things. And like you say, we were able to blur the boundaries, and a lot of people who visit the place sort of. F- 
their recollection's not clear of mm. what they're a member of the ESPY and they say to things to us like, oh, we love how you kept that old green wall um, in the place. And we're like, no, 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 you, that, that green wall was never there. We, we fabricated that. But they think, they think it's part of the original fabric. Um, so, um, and, and so from the space, you know, lo- it's very compartmentalised building. There's lots of different spaces and zones and you just merge from one one kind of venue to the next venue. So you you do take, I mean, whether it's hospitality or even a residential project, you're more interested rather than doing this very seamless, holistic approach where one room kind of leads into the next. You're more interested in creating different experiences in different places and irrespective of what the use is. Yeah, they're always, yeah, they're distinctive um, offers and, and that's how you can capture... these different demographics and people doing very different things in different spaces and that whole thing of being able to go to the venue for one purpose on one visit and go to it again the next week for an entirely different purpose or to migrate through the through the venue through a night when you meet your friends at the front bar to sort of catch up and have the first drink to have a to have dinner to then go to watch a show at the Gershon room to have cocktails yeah, no, uh, look, yeah. I definitely suggest people go. It's an experience. Mm. You feel like you're, you're going back in time, especially in the top level where mm. um, f- uh, the Alfred Alfred Felton. Alfred, Alfred Felton's uh, private rooms are almost reimagined. They were reimagined. It's a it's it's a fabrication by us, but it's it's um, presented as if it's his residence. It's um, fabulous. Yeah, look, it's really great. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. In contrast, though, you you've you were behind, Techno were behind Brunetti's, which is probably one of Melbourne's most um, uh, well-recognised cafes, hospitality offerings. Yes. And that has a very different approach. Yes. And and how do you, you know, that's completely different to something like the SB. It's not grungy. No. That wouldn't work in that part of town. No. How do you kind of, and it's quite a large space. Yeah, it's about 800 square metres. So it's a it's a grand cafe. And certainly they have their original Brunettis the, the, in, in Carlton. Um, and that is a yeah grand uh, grand European cafe. But then yeah. for the city location, we, we wanted to reimagine it and we sort of brought it more into a, um, a, mo- a modern design approach. It's very much um, celebrating all things Italian. They're, you know, it's it's an Italian offer, and the and the the owners are proud proud Italians, and uh, that's what's represented in the design. But we were certainly um, inspired by modernism of uh, from from Italy in kind of the seventies, I guess, and and uh, graphic design of you know, Gio Ponti um, sort of graphics that we've threaded through. Uh, but that that is very much a a much more singular design approach through that project. We, we haven't um, got that. Well, patch. it's all it's all open, so yeah. it would it would probably look a bit odd to, to walk six paces and then get a different experience, and then yeah. another six paces and get another experience. It would just yeah. would be too jarring. Yeah. The other thing I was going to ask you, um, Nick, is how do you tra- what are the elements that come into play when you're designing a house? In terms of hospitality, how do you how do you bring though that experience to residential work? Because you do yes. Um, oh, look, I think we we br- we bring um, uh, a sense of inventiveness and innovation from our hospitality work because we're always being challenged by our clients to come up with new ideas. We're also um, 
drawing from a really broad palette of materials and approaches to design when we're dealing with different brands. So when we try, take that into a, uh, a domestic setting, I think we're, we're sort of armed with um, a, a sort of broad approach to, 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 to design and, and coming up with a, with a bespoke solution, um, which is not governed by us having any sort of particular house style. We'll approach each project differently. And um, I think we sort of uh, bring, bring a real boldness to what we do. There's also this sense of um, bringing the theatricality and also the, so, the social aspects of doing um, F&B venues into, into the home. Um, and this just comes down to putting in place things when we're thinking about how the, how the homeowner is going to um, entertain guests and hold, hold a dinner party or have a barbecue and how the spaces interrelate from a sort of social design perspective. I mean, Nick, you'd probably be one of the best to talk about most in terms of how kitchens, I know it sounds a bit suburban. Yes, but how kitchens have changed and, yep. you know, with the increase of interest in food and, and um, home, you know, making things at home, yep. how have kitchens evolved in your 20-year period? Um, oh, look, I think there isn't a one – again, there's not a one-size-fits-all and we do different – we do versions where I guess the kitchen for some, – for some clients the, the kitchen is, is not so important and they want the anti-kitchen or the invisible kitchen – and um and the and, huge butler's pantry and the huge butler's pantry so that that's sort of really risen in the last few mm. years every everyone wants a butler's pantry um and we see, do, and we do that a lot see i find that a bit odd yeah. that people want to spend most of their time in a in a dark yeah i mean they don't be dark but in an away from the family yeah in a in an enclosed space and you've got this beautiful kitchen that's kind of you know there's a tea cup or a coffee cup yeah. on the bench and you think Oh, but why don't you use it more? Yeah. Is well, it- I think they do, but I, I I guess that when you've got the space and you've got the budget to sort of put the butler's pantry in, I guess it's putting all the all the mess in the back and you can maintain, you know, the, the island bench can be, you know, kind of clutter-free. But you have different versions for different people. Sometimes you have a, a, shine who, a client who really is quite sort of chef-y in their approach and they really want to, mm. like, be, kind of be their own version of Jamie Oliver and yeah. the kitchen is a stage for them and they're doing their whole thing. In front of the family. In front yeah. of the family and in front mm. of... And, they, you know, they're inviting people over and food is the centre of their world and um, and they really are uh, really invested in it. So... It, it varies, but I think yeah, the butler's pantry is probably the biggest change that I've noticed in the last mm. twenty years yeah. uh, of doing kitchen design. Yeah, uh, in the domestic. Yeah, because so. kitchens are changing. I mean, every, every time I think of how kitchens are changes, yeah. changing is that you know open plan kitchens were very um, big in the post war period. Yes, the walls came down. Yeah, and in a sense, having the big butler's pantries way in a sense separating yes going back to a more um defined area for preparation yeah not being on view yes Uh, and uh, yeah we we definitely um compartment compartmentalize space more and and create very you know designated sort of usage for things um um, yeah. You worked uh, um, on a house recently, or it was a couple of years ago, um, with a designer, and it was quite a bold little house in yep. Sandringham, mm. and, you know, it didn't really follow the rules. They were, you know, it was fairly brave. I mean, that yep. you worked with an interior designer called Marty Doherty yes. from Doherty Design Studio, yep. and it was brave, and... Mm. When I was discussing that house with you, you said, well, look, the owners were just 
up to it. Yes. And you told them, well, look, it's not about resale. Yes. And is, do you find it frustrating as an architect that people today are just doing the right, what they think is going to sell to someone they never know? I think so. I think Australians tend to be a bit over-obsessed about that. I think, you you, you know, you keep a... A bit of a thought about it, you don't. People don't want to overcapitalize, and they do want to. And their and and their home is their major investment. And we we get all of that, but but when you're um, engaging with an architect, you you know we're we're doing something for them, and I, I think people should really be focusing on their own needs and um, creating this environment that they're going to be spending so much time in, and not not worrying so much about what the next buyer is going to think about it. So it's we we don't even know what who that buyer is. So. It, it tends to, you, yeah, uh, yeah. You, you, it, it sort of means that you end up being a bit less innovative. Um, it, it might also mean that you're putting things into the house that you don't really need because mm. um, you just think it's what the market expects. So I'm going to put five bedrooms in and four bathrooms and a pool yeah. and, and all the, and da 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 add, add these things on. Um, where and they don't need them. They don't necessarily need them. So, yeah. um, How difficult is it to change people's point of view or their direction because obviously um, you know they come to techne and um yeah. with an idea they've seen something you might have done or you yeah. know something they've seen in a magazine and they're quite fixed yeah. you know and how they, difficult is it to kind of change their direction and say look uh, you could you don't have to do that yeah um i oh, look at it varies sometimes people are very fixed and and we'll try our best to 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 to, to shift their opinion, but there's only so much you can do. And if they're really burying their heels in, then you know they're, they're paying. They're paying. It's their house, so we'll mm. we'll um we'll ultimately deflect to to what they want because uh, they're the client. Um, but when we're when we are to you know, but we have little wins and and we have major wins as well. There'll be you know clients quite often come with a certain perception about what they're going to get, and then by the time we've been through our design process, it's it's entirely different. They end up with something they didn't expect that they were going to get, um, and that goes through a process of us showing what's possible and then explaining the reasons why that's the mo- you know the right solution for them. Um, so we always arm ourselves with the the reasoning behind these design decisions. It's never just about well we like we like the look of it or it's a, we think it's beautiful. We sort of also hit things on the functional purpose and its longevity. You know all these other reasons why you do why you make decisions and um, and then in the end that 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 tends to resonate and people go, yeah that makes sense. I've you know I understand everything that you're trying to achieve there. Um, do you think and you don't have to answer this but do you think we're in a fairly conservative period at the moment, or do you think we're coming out of that period and looking for something um, um, more inspiring? I think people are looking for something more inspiring, and I think that p- people are, uh, have more appreciation for design. We're definitely a wealthier society than we ever were, and I think people's capacity to to spend on things has certainly increased. Um, I think when I when I think to our earlier projects, not just being a junior practice, but yeah. you can just see people's capacity to to invest in their properties is uh, is pretty incredible these days. And um, uh, but aside from that, I, you know, wealth and capacity to 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 to, to spend on projects, um, I think people are pretty um, uh, aware of design and and possibilities. Um, everyone's got their pin. This is this is a d- double-edged sword, but you know, Instagram accounts and Pinterest accounts. People have all got their 
their ideas and their things that they're collecting and we're seeing everything globally. Um, but, we, yeah, we can always sort of beat them in that game. But yeah. um, Nick, uh, not all, but uh, some of your clients in particular, and I'd, I'd say they're probably some of your most more innovative clients are those that have hospitality offerings yes. and then ask you to design a house yes. on the basis of what you've done for their commercial venture. Uh, yeah, that's happened quite a few times for us. And that must be exciting because you're uh, getting really adventurous people. That's exactly right. And they're people that have um, – well, they're doing adventurous work in their um, in their business life uh, and then they're also – uh, they've they've built plenty of things before. They've been through projects. They understand the pitfalls. They understand the cost. Like we're not going through the same education process with that type of client. Um, and then they're ready to hear about you know exciting things or new things, and they're willing to take some risks. Yeah. And they uh, and they realise if if it doesn't quite work out as they plan, they can change it. So yeah. uh, it's not the end of the world if they don't like the colour on the that we've painted the wall. It's only paint, you know. I know. We, it's so. such a simple idea, but I think people look at it and think, oh, God, I can't live with that. I, yeah. It's, it's just like, a- give it a go. If you don't like it, we'll paint over it. The <laughs> so. other thing is you you also have done a number of um, multi-res projects. Yes. And what do you find interesting about that aspect? Because there are a lot of apartments out there that are just pretty yeah. basic. Yeah. Um, do you see it as an opportunity to just elevate apartment living in... in um, cities oh i think i think so certainly um we don't do apartment buildings every day of the week and um uh so when a client comes to us to do an apartment building it's going to be because they want to do something a little bit different and not uh, the usual cookie approach cutter. cookie cutter they're looking for a crafted approach they're looking for our ability to adapt an old building and um do some contemporary work with it and um uh, take a different approach so <clears throat> we're just um uh right in the middle of a project for, for Glenville at um, the old paper mill site in Alfington. There's an apartment building we're doing called Fordrinia House. Um, and that's, yeah, very much a bespoke outcome and it's quite quite different. We have to follow all of the rules of apartment design, but um, but we've done it in a different way and um, and the client's really Nick, what happy are, with it. Nick, what are the things that are still on your bucket list to get involved in? What are things that if people are listening to this program, you say, oh, God, I'd love to do this yeah. or that? Is it theatre or uh, what's something that's really... I think all architects aspire at some point in time to do a great civic building of some description. Um, but for us, I think, especially because we've got um, this ex- uh, history and experience in hospitality, the grandest expression of hospitality in my uh, view or um, is is a hotel that... that so where you've got the guests staying overnight, you're taking care of people. Have you um, done this or not? Yeah, we're we're doing some hotels at the moment, and um, it, yeah. it's sort of the natural progression for Techne to be doing more hotel work and bringing in our hospitality F and B experience for creating bars and restaurants and pubs, and then adding in uh, obviously the accommodation side, and then all the other elements that go with hotels. Um, so they become pretty significant projects. There's architecture, there's interior design, there's um, uh, there's a lot of responsibility, and again, there's um, clients out there looking to do uh, new things, unique things, and certainly in that hotel space, that seems to be um, evolving and changing as well. Look, Nick, it's been great having you on this program, and just look forward to seeing where you head to next. Um, I mean, I have to say, all your projects are very different, yeah. and there's not a house style, it's just, you know, 
one surprise after the next. But I think that keeps it interesting. I mean, not only for the um, consumer, but also for the architects and designers working on each project. Yeah, no, we're certainly motivated to, yeah, work that way. And um, each project's a new project and a new opportunity to come up with new ideas. You've been listening to Stephen Crafty. Talking Design is produced by RMIT University and brought to you in partnership with Melbourne City Council. If you'd like to stay up to date with all things Talking Design, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at talkingdesign underscore.